0: Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches to feeling better. After two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more worthy goal. A major part of this approach is talking openly about what my grief is like instead of keeping it to myself. With this new newfound permission, to let all the parts of me be here, I feel more human and less like a robot on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you again for joining this episode of the Healing Path. Today, I'm talking about uh, a book called The Body Keeps the Score, about the mind-body connection, always fascinating. And uh, the more we can learn about it, the more we can make that connection ourselves. So um, I also just want to thank you if you're new to the podcast or if you're a loyal listener. Um, I just want to thank you. We can see the uh, trending statistics in the actual podcast. And it's so exciting to see the numbers growing from day to day and week to week. And I know that there are some of you out there who are very loyal and checking in each day around noon. So I thank you for that. And just keep it up. Let it rip. Tell your friends, tell your family, anyone who you think might get something out of this. So let's go ahead and talk about the body keeping the score. This relatively new book, by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, takes a deep dive into the brain, mind, and body as they all relate to trauma. I haven't quite finished the book yet, but I didn't want to delay sharing it with you. I wrote briefly about this topic after reading another book called What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. This book similarly considers the overall impact of how trauma hits the physical body and including triggering the fight-and-flight response. I find it so refreshing to experience the aggregate pulling back of the curtains on what really happens to us when we live in fear over time, both acute and chronic. But I didn't need to read these books to deeply know the truth of the mind-body connection. After losing our daughter, Alexis, I haven't spent a day with our son, Zach, And his nearly 23 years of life without the cold shriek awareness that Zach can die at any moment. I will save that for a longer chat, but rest assured, living in chronic fear does take a toll. Fortunately, I have already benefited from the old mind body connection and rely on the cues it gives me to make decisions. The result is deep knowing. And confident decision making. I've reached a point where I don't even need to ask myself if something is a good idea, because all I need to do is sit still for 60 seconds in the quiet, suspended moments of silence to see how I feel, and that gives me all the direction I need. But I wasn't always so skilled at listening to my body as it screamed for my attention. Until I began a stillness practice and got curious about the relationship between my mind and my body, it was as if they were two separate entities and often in opposition to each other. I didn't realize that my back pain, colitis, weight fluctuations, random seizure, migraines, and a whole host of other frustrating and painful physical states were really just a result of me pushing all the stress down and trying like hell to outrun it. Fortunately, my mind and body didn't give up on me, and I suppose we now all play together nicely, or at least in awareness that these are components of the same being, not meant to be at odds, but to work in concert, together, in the smoothest ways possible. Here's an example of a time when I hadn't yet learned to integrate the two and couldn't hear my body screaming to me until I was paralyzed. It was the summer of 2007. I'd been certified as a legal nurse consultant and started my business working with lawyers on their medical cases. But as with any business, it needed time to grow. And it wasn't growing as fast as my bank account demanded, so I was considering picking up some nursing hours over the summer to supplement my consulting income. I was torn about it, and I knew I was torn, but I didn't listen to my mind or to my body. When my conscious mind told me this was a bad idea, that my heart was too broken to take care of sick babies, that I should be more patient and the rest would take care of itself, I ignored them. As a reminder, not only did our daughter, Alexis, die at 13 months and five days old, but our son, Emmanuel, also died. At birth, I delivered and watched him draw his last breath all on the same day and at the same hospital where I'd worked for many years. And I continued to work there as a nurse at that same hospital for several years after Emmanuel's death, which was sheer torture. So when I wanted to pick up some nursing hours to augment my income, I thought I was being kind to myself by applying for a nursing position at an agency that would assign me to another hospital. At least this way, the people I would work with wouldn't know my whole ridiculously sad story, and I could do my nursing work in a bubble of sorts. Soon, my consulting income would far surpass these earnings, so I knew it would be temporary. But my body was keeping the score. I applied online. Fulfilled all requirements, documentation, and licensure. The day came for me to go to my in-person interview. It was a Tuesday morning in July, and after getting Zach on the bus for the extended school year program, I began to feel the anxiety rising. I remember getting a cup of tea, which I could not even drink, and trying to calm my nervous system which, within no time, was running wild. My heart began racing. I wanted to take my shower and dress for the interview, but the task of figuring out what to wear was overwhelming. I stood in my room trying to choose something so I could get cleaned up and be on my way. Being late is a sin I try not to commit. But there were bricks in the pit of my stomach the kind that pile up slowly but that eventually become the stomach itself, and I couldn't breathe. Everything in my body knew this was not the right course of action for me, that being around babies when mine had died was not a healthy choice for me, that I'd spent enough years taking care of, a, taking care of others and needed to be more attuned to what I was experiencing. But I was way too good of a sport, <laughs> hashtag asleep and focusing on finances, way too good of a sport to listen to my body that was trying to tell me the score. I pressed on as I'd done millions of other times. I got myself dressed and keys in hand, did what I often did when I became paralyzed. I called my mother. As I lay fully dressed for the interview on my back on the floor in the center of our living room, phone to ear, Mom helped me walk through the sheer panic, which I didn't really understand at the time, and helped ground me. She helped me understand that, yes, this plan all made sense, except that it didn't. It wasn't right. Even if I didn't know why, at that moment, I could trust myself enough that this was the wrong thing for me. I hung up with my mom and called the agency. I canceled the interview, apologizing for the inconvenience. And immediately, I felt the physical relief of honoring my body's alarm system that was sounding for a major emergency. Within a few short minutes, I no longer felt like vomiting, and the shakes were reduced to a tired body that felt like it had been through a major ordeal, which actually, physiologically speaking, it really had. There was danger, there was a threat, and there was conflict. And then it was over. And so were the physical symptoms. I don't recall what I did for the remainder of that day, but it probably had something to do with promoting my consulting practice. The culture we live in teaches us that the mind and body are separate, that the value of a body is how good it can look, how strong, and how sexy it can all be. We should be thinner. We should not feel aches and pains. We shouldn't feel, feel tired. There's a pill or a shot or a beverage for all of these things. And there are shortcuts to achieving these outcomes in our bodies, like diets and plastic surgery. Our culture does not teach us and fails to inform us that the body is literally simply an expression of the mind, that our bodies are the actual manifestation of of all that is happening within. So the mind demands respect, needs care, attention, and a chance to protect and advocate for our entire beings. Unfortunately, that leads us to treating mind and body like they are two separate stores in a strip mall instead of being at Costco where it's all connected. And thanks for the indulgence on that metaphor. The bottom line is that for most of us, if we think about it, our bodies always speak the truth. We may drug them or deprive them or strain or overtrain them, but the big picture of just how we fit or don't in a particular situation, job or social engagement, it's always ready at hand. We just have to still sit so long enough to hear and absorb its messaging. Since that July Tuesday in 2007, I never thought about going back to bedside nursing again. And although my heart is absolutely in the nursing profession, and I do love staying credentialed so I can practice, I maintain a commitment to myself that when something feels that wrong, there's no way it can be right for me. The body does keep the score. See if sitting quietly for five minutes today allows you to hear or receive something you have been blocking by staying on the move or anesthetizing. The right thing is always available to us. We just have to be courageous enough to let it emerge. So thanks for listening to this a little bit longer than usual episode of the Healing Path podcast. And I do remember this day so vividly, I guess it's almost 15 years ago now. Um, but I literally had been managing and to some degree, I think we're all still working on this, but managing the mind and the body as if they were two separate things. So when my body was screaming, no danger, don't do it, my mind was like, but it makes sense. And the money's good and the flexible schedule works. And I already know how to do these things. So you can kind of go back and forth with yourself. But ultimately, thank God I was able to call my mom that day as I've done so many times and just had her help me get my feet and then my body and then my mind all grounded to realize that if you feel like vomiting when you're about to do something, unless you're getting ready to ski slalom in the Olympics or something like that, it might mean not to do it. So, although it's worth noting that physiologically, stress and anxiety and excitement all kind of produce the same body reactions. In other words, we can have a fast heart rate because we see a room full of people wishing us a happy surprise birthday. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a bad thing if consistently we're visiting a decision that we have to make and consistently feeling physically ill over our conclusions. So hopefully every one of us has at least one person to talk to when that happens. But if we don't, and especially if we want to get more in tune with this connection between our mind and our body, we have to listen to what our body's telling us. And it's not that our medical bodies don't respond to some of the Western traditional therapies and and um, treatments that are available. But I do think it's true, at least it is in my experience, that my body can always tell me if something's right or wrong for me. I just need to listen. And I can't hear it if I'm, you know, binge eating chocolate covered pretzels, or if I'm working out three times a day, or if I'm, uh, you know, staying so busy that I can't really ever listen to myself and again if you don't have a stillness practice even just take a minute in the morning before the day gets going um, i think you'll find it illuminating hopefully and want to do it even for you know longer periods of time but consistency is key and if you're not used to hearing what your body's trying to tell you i promise you it's all there you just have to sit still long enough and have the self trust to know that your body tells you everything you need about decisions that you're trying to make and courses of action that you're trying to choose. So I do hope this was helpful. It's a little bit longer than some of the other episodes, um, but it's a complicated topic and we'll talk about it again. If you have any experience with this, positive, negative, or, or neutral, we'd love to hear about it at lisamcfarland.com. Please share anything that you might have available of your own experience in the comments so that we can all learn from you as well. And until next time, stay present, stay grateful, and stay healing. And as always, thank you so much for listening.